Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. If you haven't heard, I am here to share with you. The Wine and Chisme podcast has launched the very first Latina-owned wine brand directory ever. Just go to the wineandchismepodcast.com, then go to Wine Brand Directory. There you will be greeted by me. But more importantly, you will be able to choose a winery first by region, then by county. And the wineries in that area will not only be listed, but you can connect directly to them from this site. It couldn't be easier than that, right? Use this directory to plan your own wine adventure or learn about some of these Latine vintners or share it with a friend and have them buy some Latine wine as well. You guys, this is the first time that something like this has ever been available. So go use it and support our community. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. And today I have with me Juan Medina, founder of the Lalo app, which I cannot wait to get into and everything, but we have to get into other things before that. He was born in Brazil. To, this is like such an, when I was reading your bio, it was so interesting to me. So he was born in Brazil to parents from Colombia and Bolivia, and he immigrated to the U.S. at a really young age. He was raised by a single mother and graduated from the University of Delaware with a degree in economics. And he also has an MBA from the University of Chicago. And then prior to starting your Lalo app, you worked for Amazon for several years. So there's a lot in there, right? Yeah, for sure. So before we get into the chisme, we always start with the wine. Um, I don't believe you're drinking wine tonight. I'm not. I'm drinking Pellegrino, which is (laughs) not as exciting. But it is sparkling. So, you know, there there you you go. go. Got a little flavor. There you go. Tonight, I am drinking a 2013 Merlot by Herencia del Valle. They are out of the Napa region and they are a Latine-owned wine brand. Mm. Guillermo and Angelica are the owners and they have been truly super duper supportive of me, of the podcast, of what I'm trying to do in regards to amplifying Latine-owned wine brands since the beginning, like since day one. So... They actually just sent me some more wine because I think I ran out of their wine. (laughs) I will say this. I love a good Merlot. I think a lot of people are, what kind of wine do you normally drink wine or do you drink wine? I do. I do. You know, we have the um, Woodenville kind of wine 
area, which is not too far, that has a lot of the different Washington wines. So I definitely like reds, so like Merlot, Cabernet, but, you know, in the summer, maybe a cold Chardonnay isn't too bad. So are you, okay, I found that I like Chardonnays that are made in steel barrels instead of wooden barrels because they tend to be lighter, more citrusy, and not as buttery. And I don't, I'm not a big, like that buttery, thick coat on your mouth that you tend to get with a wood, like a barrel, a wood barrel aged Chardonnay. So do you know, like, do you know what kind of Chardonnays do you like? Yeah. I mean, as you're describing that, I do kind of like the, the buttery feel a little yeah. more. So you, you just educated me a little bit. So these are like <laughs> the, the wood barrels, huh? Yeah. Those are the, those are the oak barrel age ones. Yeah. I like I said, when it's a little bit more citrusy, a little bit more light and bright, then, you know, it's probably out of a still barrel. Okay. Very cool. And I always feel like Merlot gets hated on because of, I don't know. Do you remember that movie Sideways? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's talked so much crap about Merlot. <laughs> I haven't seen that in such a long time, but it's such a good movie. It is It is a really great movie, but it totally like mm. shits on Merlot, let's be yeah. honest. And it feels so yeah. bad because a good Merlot is just chef's kiss. Like it really, yeah. really is. And this is a good Merlot. I've had it before. They sent me another bottle and I'm so, when I saw it, I was very, mm. very excited. So, salud. Salud. Very we nice. go for those penny sound effects here. <laughs> well, I'm sold. So you'll have to send me that, that information or if it's in the podcast, I'll just. Yeah, it. yeah. I'll totally yeah. send it They're They're super awesome. Like I said, they've been super supportive. So let's get into the cheese, man. As you sip your Pellegrino. <laughs> Down fancy with your Pellegrino and I'll sip my wine. There you go. So I want to just kind of start because you, like you said, you were born in Brazil. Your mm. parents are from Colombia and Bolivia. What was it that brought your parents? First of all, how did they meet in Brazil? How did that happen? And then what brought you to the state? Yeah, that's... That's a good place to start. So, you know, <laughs> start at the beginning, right? <laughs> yeah, let's start. That's a good place. Um, so, of all places, they did not meet in Brazil or even in South America. They met in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, what? Yeah, at the University of Kentucky, like in the 60s. And, um, you know, there wasn't a huge Latino, Latina community in Kentucky, as you can imagine. And so, you know, the few that are there became very close and yeah, that's how they met. Were they international students? They were. Yep. Yeah. So like, you know, uh, fresh face had never left their countries before and, you know, they're 18 years old and in Kentucky. So, yeah. So what was it that brought you and you can share as much or not. I'm not like, look, I'm not somebody who's like, tell me more. Tell me more. I will ask if you don't, I'm so cool with that because this is really to amplify voices, right? Not to be like a gotcha person. (laughs) So what was it that brought you and your mom or you and both of your parents, whatever that is to the United States? And how long were you in Brazil? Like you said you were young, but how young is young? Yeah. So first of all, like I, I don't mind sharing, like it's who I am. It's my story. So I I'm not uh, shy about that. But so I was about three, four years old. And then my mom got 
homesick. Uh, she didn't want to be in Brazil anymore. And so then we moved to Colombia. Then my parents split up, they got a divorce. And so in the middle of all that, my mom is like, well, you know, now I have a son and I want to have like uh, a better source of income. And so then she went back to school to get her master's degree. And so that was the reason why we moved to the U.S. So I started first grade again in Kentucky, <laughs> in Louisville, Kentucky this time. So what is it with your mom in Kentucky? What the <laughs> heck? That's such a random place. <laughs> I know. I know. But, uh, you know, as a kid, I didn't know any different. It was a nice place to grow up. And yeah, I enjoyed it. So you did grow up in Kentucky? Up until like eighth grade. And then I've moved so much. I, I moved to New Jersey, which I think was like, that's like more of a culture shock than Columbia to Kentucky, I think. <laughs> you know? Probably. Yes. So. Um, so let me ask you then, mm. when growing up, I would imagine either Spanish or Portuguese was your first language. Right. And when you moved, how was that transition? Did you feel like you were different than the other kids because you spoke another language? Like you said, probably at that time, like Latinos are not very prevalent in Kentucky. Right. So did you feel like different growing up? I mean, I, I definitely felt different. You know, I was like the only kid that had to spell his name out and be like, no, it's J-U-A, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But for the most part, it I didn't feel like discriminated against or like, you know, like so different that like, you know, I felt left out or anything like that. After a while, like I embraced it and it was just something kind of cool that, that made me a little different. Like, oh, Juan speaks Spanish and English. That's cool. And so that's how I approached it. And yeah, luckily the kids there were, you know, like any kid, they'll, they'll make fun of any little thing they can get their hands on. But I, I never felt like that was different for me versus other kids. Did you have an, I, I know this, this is like a random question that just yeah. popped in my head. Did the kids give you like any weird nicknames? Um, maybe I've blocked it out or something. <laughs> <laughs> I will You're like, say, you know what? It was so traumatic. I, don't <laughs> I will say when that song dropped, my last name's Medina. So funky Cole Medina, uh, you know dropped in the 80s or whenever that was and so yeah that's kind of a cool thing though yeah yeah you know? but, uh, yeah i guess <laughs> but, okay maybe yeah. not <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i recently interviewed somebody her name is Luz gonzalez and i really something she said it kind of stuck with me and she was saying how now get this first of all she was saying um growing up in in Florida, there was kids that were dating or boyfriend, girlfriend or kissy, mm. kissy in the third grade. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's my like, what in the <laughs> world? First of all, no, you'll get the mano to the face is what you'll get. In this <laughs> I don't have any kids, so I can say that. <laughs> but yeah, she was saying that her, how her dad kind of kept her from feeling not as different was mm. like, they might be able to do that, but you have a passport mm -hmm. and like made her feel special with that yeah. being able to do that. So were there times when you, and I thought that was the coolest thing, mm -hmm. right? Was there anything that like, when you came home, you weren't feeling great about maybe somebody did latch onto something. And right. was there anything that your mom said or did 
or anything? Because I know you said at some point you were like, oh, I speak English and Spanish. That's kind of cool. But was there anything else that she kind of helped with to make you feel special? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. I mean, certainly like speaking two languages was something that, you know, my mom definitely wanted me to keep up and emphasize and maybe, yeah, maybe that, that having two cultures, you know, she, you know, we'd go back to Colombia in the summer so I could like keep up the culture. And she was a a Spanish teacher in my schools. (laughs) And so, so, yeah, it was, uh, you know, before, if I did anything wrong, she would know before, I even oh, did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So speaking with, did you ever go yeah. through a phase where you didn't want to speak Spanish? Cause I feel like a lot of my friends, like yeah. they go through this point, like they're where their kids are like refuse to speak Spanish. Yeah. There were certainly times when I was embarrassed, like, especially in school where she would be like, Oh yeah, Juani, like blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, 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 stop with the Juani stuff. And like, <laughs> I don't want to speak Spanish. Like there'd be like, a girl I had a crush on or something. And I, I just did not want to speak Spanish. So Pero yeah. Spanish is a love language. Yeah, that's Come true. On. You're like, hey, <laughs> <suave> now. <laughs> that's funny. Especially, you know, with the girls, they, they always like something different. Those Southern girls. And you're like, yeah. this Latino in Kentucky. Yeah. Come on, Juan. I okay. Know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so what, like having your mom in your school, mm. I could imagine I've had friends that are like that. So was that in middle school or high school? No, just elementary school. Oh, it was just in elementary. Yep. So I'm sure you were glad once you got past, past that and into yes. your own identity. So yes. where did you move when you were in eighth grade? So after eighth grade, I moved to New Jersey to start like Okay, that's where you moved. Yeah. And how was that? Because you said it was much more of a culture shock. But it's also a lot because I'm sure you went from a place that was not very diverse. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just making these assumptions in my head. Not very diverse. You are kind of the person who gets to stand out because of your diversity. Mm. And then now you're going into New Jersey, which I would imagine is going to be extremely diverse and people very much into who they are and very much into their culture. So how was that transition? Yeah. So, I mean, I should say like the schools I went to in Kentucky, you know, about half of the school would be black or African-American and the rest would be white. There there weren't very many Latinos. So from that perspective, it wasn't Latino uh, diversity like you might get in Florida or California. And then New Jersey, I was in central Jersey and it was, you know, a mix of there was Italian heritage Indian, Chinese, Jewish, these were like the big influences. But again, at least I don't know why I, <laughs> I left that again, but there weren't a lot of, of Latinos in this, this part of New Jersey for whatever reason. And so the few that I knew, you know, we became really close friends and we're still, you know, good friends to this day. Nice. What kind of student do you, do you think you are, or would you say you are? I was a I was a pretty good student. I wasn't like the best, like honor roll every quarter or anything like that. But, but I was. Because I feel good. like having a teacher as a parent can be a cursor. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, C's were not accepted. God forbid anything below that. But I was pretty good. I would say. But 
yeah, again, I wasn't like top of the class or anything. Cause I want to start getting into your other stuff, but I do want to yeah. ask when you were a kid, what was yeah. your dream? Like, what did you think your life or your career would be as a kid? That's a good question. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I really loved music. Like from a very young age, I was always like enamored with like my first concert was Menudo. I <laughs> love Menudo. Oh, I love Menudo so yeah. much. <laughs> that was like, oh wow. Like look at everyone's just going crazy for these people. Um, I started playing guitar later. So like I really liked music a lot. You know, my mom was always like, yeah, no, like, yeah, you, you need to like, <laughs> the teacher and her was like, money. No, but... <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not going to fly. And so then I just had this kind of idea of a businessman, but I didn't even know what that meant or what it was or how to get it or if I would like it or not. It was just kind of like, oh, I think they make money. So I should probably do that. So eventually you go to the University of Delaware. Did you go from New Jersey to Delaware? Mm-hmm. I did. So what made you decide on economics of all things? <laughs> so in the middle of what led to our move to New Jersey was that my mom remarried. And so my stepfather, he majored in economics and he he was fairly successful in his career. So I was like, okay, well, that seems like a good <laughs> choice. Oh man. But like in those economics classes, I was like, oh, why did I do this. Let me tell you, I went to the University of North Texas. I, my degree is in strategic communications, which is just a fancy way of saying public relations. Yeah. And I had to take a statistics class with college Mm -hmm. algebra at the same time, like both, like the lab was college algebra. The class was statistics. And first of all, statistics is the math of the devil. I full wholeheartedly <laughs> believe that. <laughs> yes, I think that's on the textbook. Like, yes, know, math of the yeah. devil. That's math really what it, devil, says. Six, six, six. what it says. Six six six. Six six six. And uh, we were the only school. We were the only college in the entire university that you could graduate with a D. Okay. Okay. Journalist, journalist. If you're in the school of journalism, yeah, you could pass with a D. Wow. <laughs> I like that. So when you're thinking of economic, I mean, I can't even, oh my gosh, it's giving me a headache. I need to drink wine. Continue. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. So like, boy, I powered through it. Like I did learn a lot, but you know, it wasn't needless to say, it was not my passion. It was more just like, okay, let me memorize a bunch of stuff and take the test and move on. (laughs) Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more Wine and Cheese Men. Hola, chicas. The summer we've been waiting for is right around the corner, and our friends at Ulta Beauty wanted to share the following hair care must-haves. Starting off with Andrew Fitzsimons Prism Shine Glossy Shampoo, formulated with hydrating coconut oil, derived ingredients, and aloe vera, delivering a glossy glow to dull hair. The moisturizing treatment glides through and makes hair super shiny, leaving it silky smooth from root to tip. Your next summer must-have is Sunbum's Heat Protector, which lets you say no to heat-damaged hair, decreasing blow-dry time, and helps protect against thermal damage and breakage. This two-phase protective formula is lightweight, nourishing, and works quickly to help eliminate frizz and resist humidity, keeping hair healthy and hydrated. This last-minute must-have is new, and our friends at Ulta Beauty are excited to share that Oliflex Number no. 9 Bomb Protector Nourishing Hair Serum 
is now available at Ulta Beauty. Protect your hair from daily damage with this weightless leave-in silicone-free hair serum to shield hair from pollution and provide heat protection up to 450 degrees. So what are you waiting for? Head over to Ulta Beauty today and shop in-store or online for all your summer hair care essentials. I know you eventually go to Amazon. Did you get your MBA mm-hmm. before going to Amazon or concurrently while working with Am- working at Amazon? I got it before before Amazon. So And how yeah. is that experience versus getting because I know getting your MBA is very intense, very yeah. like, but was it something you enjoyed way more than getting your economic degree? One of the things trying to get into school, I had it in my head that I wanted to go to like a top school. Like Harvard, like Georgetown. And I did not get into those schools. And so that for some reason just stuck with me, even when I graduated from college. So I worked did for a couple of years. Did you apply to those schools? I did. Yep. I worked for a couple of years. And at this point I was living in Chicago. So I had moved to Chicago and gotten a job there. It was still like this kind of chip on my shoulder. Where I was like, what? I think I'm good enough to get into these kinds of schools. And so like University of Chicago at the time, it might still be, it was like one of the top ranked business schools. And I was like, let me just try and see what happens. And I got waitlisted and they were like, oh, I don't know. And so like I wrote this long letter about why I should get in and I got in. And I remember the the head of admissions called me when I was at work and I, I literally started crying because I was like, I can't believe I got in. And so... Yeah, it was like such a big moment for me. I love hearing that. I love hearing yeah. when, not that I'm happy that you got, you didn't get into yeah. like yeah. Harvard or Princeton or anything, but I think we learn so much in those moments when we don't get what we want or yeah. we don't get what we expect. When that happened, when you didn't get into those universities, looking back, because you don't, I feel like at that moment, you're not thinking of the lesson learned. No. But looking back, what do you think you got from those rejections? You know, I think now that I've, you know, I'm 40 something now, but like, okay, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Having gone to like a state school, which was a good, it was a good school, you know, but it, it obviously is not a Harvard name brand. And then I went to university of Chicago, which is kind of a, a name brand. And so I've had both of those experiences and I can say wholeheartedly that I didn't feel like the people were any better or even smarter, like in Chicago than in Delaware. Like, of course, there's a handful that are like uber geniuses, like Doogie Howser or whatever. Fine. But you take those people out and for the most part, everyone is the same. It just the biggest difference where the, the majority of the people in those fancier schools just had more opportunities, you know, their, their parents were wealthy. They were preparing them from the time they were like little kids to, to get into these kinds of schools. And and that was the major difference. And so I think for me now having my own daughter and, you know, I want her to go where she wants to go, but it's not something I'm going to instill in her that like, you have to go to these top schools because it doesn't matter as much as I thought at the time, because, you know, both schools were great. I had a great time at Delaware. I met great people. And yeah, I don't know. We get older or as I got older, I just tend to value different things, you know, right. than I did back then. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I know. I remember, I mean, I think of back to when I'm in my 20s and everything. And first of all, I'm like, how did I survive my 20s? Cause I was a mess. I was crazy. Like, yeah. 
I didn't go to school until I, like I started going to college and then there was other like external circumstances mm. that I couldn't finish. Yeah. So I didn't actually graduate from college till I was 37, almost 20 years to the day that I graduated from high school. That's amazing. And I appreciated it so much more. Like, mm. I feel like there was a lot that I could apply, like what I was being, what I was sitting in the classroom, I understood it right. wasn't just a theory to me because I was actually working in my industry as I was going to school. So it didn't feel mm. foreign. Right. right now, where I will say for at least for me being in PR is the, the some of the opportunities that I think colleges need to figure out in regards to when there are older students is I couldn't afford to take an unpaid internship for, right. you know, for a year for a stunt like I couldn't just not do that. I had to work. Right. So I think when you have, you have to figure out a way to work with those students and how do companies work with those students that are older, that still need to work. But when you don't have certain experiences, you couldn't get certain jobs. Right. For me, it did end up working out, but I think yeah. persistence, like you said, you learn so much. Persistence is so much, is so key. And being able to build relationships is super key regardless. And I think that's something that maybe this generation is not like they build relationships online, but they don't know how to build them in person anymore. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think even for all of us, just the last couple of years being in, in the pandemic now, you know, people are like, Oh, there's a big event. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's nine o'clock. It's my bedtime. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So when you were, were you working in economics at your job between when you got your, like, did you didn't use your degree oh, at no. all? <laughs> no, so no, what no, did no, you no. end up going into? Um, so I went to work for this company called McMaster Car, and they were in the very exciting field of selling like screws and stuff, basically like uh, wow. hardware. They sold yeah. hardware. It was actually a, a very profitable, successful company, but it was just boring. <laughs> what they did well, people, was boring. And, but you need somebody to do that, right? Yeah. When you think of all those things that yeah, you need exactly. somebody to do. Yeah. What was cool about that job, though, is they did business with Mexico and all the maquiladoras on the border there between Texas and Mexico. And so I would speak Spanish all day. So I was able to like apply my language skills in that job. The only job that I've <laughs> been able to really do that. And then how did you end up pivoting over to Amazon and what was your role there? Yeah. So many years later, I was now living in Ohio. I met my wife. Ohio. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Columbus, Ohio, college town. Met my wife on, on Match.com back when I was still kind of weird to meet your, your wife online. Yeah, it's not weird anymore. I met my boyfriend on a there you go. Bumble. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And we just had a baby, my daughter, who's now nine. Um, and so I, I had wanted to work in tech. I loved Amazon as a customer. I was like, this company is like magic. I don't, I think they're going to get huge. And so this was 2012. And so I applied and yeah, I got the job. I'd never been to Seattle in my life and we just had a baby, but we did it. We decided to just make the leap and yeah, move to so Seattle. What was your role when you started? So my first job, I managed the healthcare category, which sounded really fancy. But when I got there, I was like band-aids and like 
adult diapers, but um, yeah. <laughs> You're like band-aids and adult diapers. Adult diapers. <laughs> <clears throat> so you're there for, I mean, do you go kind of through the ranks? Do you kind of like go into different departments? I'm sure you're learning about all kinds of different things that eventually lend itself to what you're doing now with, with Lalo. Yeah. Um, how long were you at Amazon? I was there a little bit over eight years. So yeah, good amount of time. Most people, the average tenure, I think it's like less than two years. So <laughs> that's like four lifetimes there. Right. Yeah. So what made you like, there had to have been something that percolated at some point that made you start thinking of what you're doing with Lalo because obviously you don't just say, hey, I'm going to quit today and start a new company. There was something that happened that made you like have that light bulb moment of, hey, there's something else I want to do. And maybe this is it. What was that for you? I had always wanted to start my own company. It was something I always wanted to do, but I was just scared. I'm like, I don't have that perfect idea. I don't know how to do that. Like, I'm not going to quit this job where I'm making money and go do this thing. But after, you know, now I'm in my, well, in my forties. And so it was the middle of the pandemic, the George Floyd event had just happened. And I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I was like doing work that I just was not passionate about. And so just made me kind of focus on what was important and wanting to, make a difference because, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed. Like we can, you know, it could all be gone at any time. And so I was like, I have to do it now or never and started to think about like, what could it be? And so I kept going back to this moment when, so my dad had passed away when I was at university of Chicago. So he passed away. He had multiple sclerosis for 20 plus years. It was like a slow decline and, and he passed away. And so now having my own family, now my daughter started to ask like, Hey, I want to know about my grandfather or about Columbia, because I, I don't know anything about that part of your life. And so I was like, okay, like she'd been to Columbia, but she was little. So I was like, yeah, that's a good question. And so I started to think about like, well, what stories can I tell my daughter and my wife about my dad? And, and I just didn't have a lot of them because you know, my parents were divorced and then he was sick and then he passed away. And so that's kind of what got me thinking about like, well, how do we preserve these kinds of stories of the people that we care about? And yeah, maybe I can try and make a business out of it. So that's, that was kind of what led me in this direction. Can you explain exactly? And I, and I do want to get kind of more into it because yes. I'm sure there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of things that happen, but yeah. the app is called Lalo app. Can you kind of explain what it is and what it's designed to be used for? Absolutely. So it's a, it's a mobile app that is designed to be a digital scrapbook for people's life stories. And so it's still early days. So, you know, what you can do in the app today is basically go in and say, hey, I want to write the stories for myself or for my abuela or for someone that passed away. And then it kind of leads you into a private space where there's a list of questions that you can answer for yourself or with a loved one. You can invite people to that space and they can share pictures or video. What we've seen so far, you know, we, we've been in kind of testing for about six months and people are uploading a lot of pictures and they're recording their voice 
quite a bit. And so we're trying to figure out how to kind of put those two things together for this next uh, version of the app. But yeah, in a nutshell, it kind of feels like a more private Facebook in a way, but we've added this kind of layer of being able to have those questions and start those conversations to get those stories out. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that have a lot of ideas, right? In regards to how do they start an app? So where did you start when you're like, okay, I think this, I want a space for this. Mm -hmm. And how do you make it different than what is already out there? Right. Yeah. So where did that start and where did you have to go? Was that something that was difficult? Was that because you launched technically in 2020, right? Or maybe not launched, but you began your company in 2020. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So where did it, how did that, how did I start? Is that kind yeah, of- Yeah. Like what were the kind of those first steps? Cause there's, I feel like there's people always going, Oh, I want to do an app, but they don't even know where to start. They don't even know, like literally they're just like, I want to start it. I want to do something, but I don't know how to start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, me neither as of a year ago, but now, now I do. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of different ways to do it, but I, I can tell you kind of what I did. So basically I just started by doing kind of competitor research, like just seeing what else is out there, who's doing what, what do I like about what they're doing? What don't I like? And going through that kind of customer journey with each of them and saying, okay, like, what's this like? Or I like this piece. SWAT. You went through the SWAT process. Yes. Yes. So for those who don't know, SWAT is strengths, weaknesses. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, now I was all that I forgot uh, opportunities opportunities and threats. threats. Yeah. Yep. I was like, why can't I remember, but I don't have to do the marketing stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So it's like, yeah, what, what's out there and what's good and what's not working. And so that was the start. And then I started to kind of, again, like I have no artistic skills or I'm not even a computer engineer. So I was like, just starting to sketch what it could look like. And that only took me so far because it was like, oh gosh. (laughs) And luckily I had a friend that was at Microsoft who like started to build like a very early version of what it could look like. Good friend of mine. But after a while he was like, "Eh, I'm not really into this. And so then he left. And so finally I was able to hire a freelancer that actually designs just, it's like graphic design, but Mm -hmm. um, designs for apps basically. And so like, Hey, button here, buttons blue, da da da. So like, and then it started to come to life a little bit. Cause like, it wasn't a real app, but at least now I could be like, Oh, it, it was like in beta this. mode. Yes. Yes. And so that those were kind of the, the first few steps I took. Was this something you were doing at the same time you were at Amazon or were you, how far did you get before? Cause you had already made the decision. Like I can't do this forever. I need to do something yeah. else. So how far did you get before you were like, you know what? I got to go all in. <laughs> yeah. So I was still at Amazon at this point. I think that unlock for me was, was seeing it come to life, at least like in picture form. And I was like, okay, I think I have something here. And, you know, I was talking to people, you know, anyone that, anyone that would talk to me, I was like, Hey, here's the idea. Here's how it would work. Here's how it would look. And people were getting excited about it. And so I was, you know, after a lot of conversations with my wife, she was very supportive and I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to do it. And so I, I made the leap, you know, last March. March of 2021 or 2022? 2021. 
How scary was that? It wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. I was just exhausted by <laughs> the corporate grind. So I was pretty happy <laughs> to be honest. You're like, I'm done. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So well, I want I'm going to read this and it says, what can I do with the app? Cause I'm in your FAQs. Cause I yes. wanted to make sure I was, I read all of that as well. Awesome. And it says Lalo allows you to create a private space to share your family memories. Think of it. Like you said, as a digital scrapbook. Each space is completely private. Only you and the people you invite can see what you share. You can add memories using pictures, video, voice, and text. One place to keep all your most important moments. To discover new stories, you've inclu- we've included conversation prompts you can answer or ask other people in your space. Think we're missing something and then I ask to let you know. So does that mean, And because I, I want to make sure like what I'm thinking is correct. Yeah. You can't just like browse people, right? Like people, you have to be very specifically invited or part of a group in order to see something. Yes, exactly. Right now, I know it's free. Eventually, there'll be a a paid version of it and everything. So how vast can a group get? Like how is it? Are you limited to how many people can be part of it? How does that work? And how do they have to confirm? Like I'm kind of, you know, just in regards to the process of starting it. If somebody just wants to start it and see, because it doesn't seem like it's something you can necessarily browse with other people. You have to kind of really be in it. Am I correct? I just want to make sure yes. I'm, what I'm thinking is correct. Yeah, absolutely. And that is right. And there's no limit. You can invite as many people as you like to the group. Um, we've seen most groups are about five people, um, but there's no limit on that. And we definitely wanted to emphasize privacy because that, that was something that I just wasn't seeing in a lot of online experiences. Yeah. And you said in the future, you plan to charge, it's a very nominal fee, actually, Mm. like $25 per family annually. This is annually, guys. This is not even a month. It's annually. Yeah. And that will continue to be like unlimited users or, and how do you figure out who that family is and who gets billed? Is it the person who signs up? Like, or are you still kind of a little bit far away from that to make that decision? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And we're kind of working through all of those details right now, the way we're thinking about it is similar to like a shared iCloud account where there's a main kind of administrator and then they invite, you know, whomever they want. And we'll probably have some sort of limits just in terms of storage. So if people are uploading huge files, et cetera, there might be different tiers, but that's how we're thinking about it right now. Right. And what about, because there's so much concern in regards to privacy and safety. Yes. How do you handle that? Is people's information sold? How do you keep it private? Like what, because I I think that's such a huge concern, especially I've literally been trying to, I don't even use Facebook, Yeah. but I have a lot of photos that I've tried to kind of get off and everything and have. Mm -hmm. I use it like literally I post maybe once or twice a month, just so my family kind of knows. Like people who aren't on Instagram kind of know what's going on. Right. But that is a very big concern for a lot of people. So how do you work through those privacy and security concerns? Yeah, that's a great question. And one that we, we spend a lot of time thinking about. And so I think the biggest difference in terms of what we wanted to do with Lalo was to choose a different way to make money, because I think 
a lot of the privacy and security issues that happen online is because it's an advertising model, right? Because if the product is free, someone's got to pay for it. <laughs> and unfortunately, right. they're selling your data and your pictures and your connections and all of that. And so that was the first thing we decided was no advertising, you know, it's going to be the subscription model. And so then that gives us a lot of flexibility. The second is no, we're not going to sell people's data, you know, even aggregating it and putting it together and selling it. We're not doing that. These controls in terms of you can't browse and like, oh, so-and-so is on here, my high school boyfriend or whatever, like, let me see what's going on there. So you can't browse. And then lastly, you know, the data is all encrypted. Um, we make sure that, you know, we don't keep any information of yours that we don't need to keep. We only keep your cell phone number that's used to kind of log in, but that's really the only real personal piece of information that we have. You know, we're doing everything we can to make the experience pleasurable. Like we want it to be fun, but we also don't want to break people's trust. Right. Actually, that goes into my next question in regards yeah. to what information do you ask? Do you have email or is it just a cell phone? Like what information are you asking? Especially if you're inviting other people, do you just put in their phone number and an invite sent to them? How does that work? Yeah. So really the only piece of personal information we have is the cell phone number. That's what ties everything together to invite people. You text them a link um, they sign up again with their cell phone number and then their, you two are connected. So those are really the only pieces. Of course you put in your first name and last name and, and those types of things, but that's up to you. So many of my listeners, not all, not hundred percent, but many mm. are Latinos Yeah, and Lalo is short for Eduardo yes. most of the time. So obviously that has to play into your life. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, that might've been one of the hardest decisions at the beginning is like, what am I going to name this thing? <laughs> like I was driving my family nuts. Cause I was like, what about this and that? And like, you know, memorybook.com or, you know, <laughs> no, thank goodness you didn't go with that. <laughs> then finally, you know, I mentioned part of the inspiration for starting this was my experience of losing my father and my father's name was Eduardo and his family called him Lalo. And so, yeah, my wife was the one that was like, why don't you just call it Lalo? It's short and sweet and it connects to your story. And so, yeah, that's how it started. It does. And when I saw the name, I kind of started chuckling because a very significant part of my youth, I was quote unquote in love with the boy named Lalo. There you go. Everybody else <laughs> would call him Eddie. And when I would be, Eddie. and when I would call him Lalo, <laughs> Everybody's like, who? And I'm like, no, his name is not. I mean, yeah, technically it is, but no, who calls him Eddie? No. <laughs> it's funny. Like my dad's coworkers called him Ed, which I, I thought was just weird, but. <laughs> right. Doesn't it sound weird with somebody like somebody you've known? Cause I have known him since, I don't know, elementary school for sure. And when right. you always called somebody a certain name and then all of a sudden you hear people saying something different. You're like, who, who are you talking to? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. What is your hope for mm. Lalo? You were saying what you, what your dream as a little kid was like right. just being a businessman, even though not knowing what a businessman is Right, right. now with Lalo, what, how, what is that dream? Yeah. The dream with Lalo, honestly, it's about me being able to 
work on something that, that I'm passionate about, that I think can do a little bit of good in the world to be able to hire a diverse team and the kinds of folks that I want to work with to do things the right way and not be tempted by like these dollar signs from advertising and all these other things and have it be a place like when people hear Lalo, that it'll be, it might be their friend, Eddie or Ed, but it can also be, oh, this is where we go to just share our family memories. And and I know that when I use it, that my information is going to be safe. Like They're not going to sell it. I'm not going to get hit with ads for this or that. And yeah, I think just that simple, that it can be a, a safe place to share your family stories. And are you on all of the platforms in regards to people being able to access it? Yeah. So we were on Android and, and iPhone. Um, eventually we will add kind of a, a desktop application, but right now just the two big platforms. When you look at that and you look at your daughter, you were referring back to her earlier in regards to you want her to do what she wants to do. You want her to be able to go to this, to whatever college or not. Maybe, I don't know Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. she wants. What do you see for her future and how do you have it linked to Lalo at all? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, what I see for, or what I hope for my daughter is that, you know, she just feels supported in whatever choices she wants to make. I will try to bite my tongue if it's something, you know, that she's <laughs> like, oh no. But, um, you know, I don't want her to feel pressure to like be a certain thing when she grows yeah. up, because I, I think we have done, we'll continue to do the right things that, so that she makes the right choices. And then, and then it's up to her because no one ever told me like, go be an economics major or a businessman, but I kind of felt that pressure and, and to only now at the age of 40 something to finally like start to do stuff I actually want to do. It's like, I don't want her to wait that long. <laughs> but it's still young. Yes. Yes. Coming from absolutely. a fellow 40 something. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I feel like we think that, and tell me if you, I don't know if you felt this like this growing up or mm. if you feel like this now, but I feel like so many young people feel like they have to have it figured out in their twenties or even in their thirties. And yeah. I'm like, dude, you don't, I felt like I didn't even fully know myself until I hit my like late thirties, early forties, Yeah, because you go through so much in your life and good, bad, ugly. And when you're young, I don't know, you just don't have that life experience to be like, to maybe see the flags or see this or see, you think you do. You think you have the experience, right? But right. you don't. And I think that us in our forties, it's okay. We're that exennial, right? We're like Gen X slash millennial, you know, we're kind of maybe a couple years removed of official millennials because, right. but you know, it's okay. We didn't grow up in a time of technology, mm. you know, technology became when we grew up, when we were like, high school, graduated high school type of thing versus so many kids now just instantly grow up with it. I just want to say like, I don't think it's too late. I'm so glad that you're doing this now that you've, it's not too late to find your passion in your forties or in your fifties. I think the most important thing is just, if you haven't found your passion to not give up. Yeah. That's a great message. I like the way you framed it. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. 
See, with age comes wisdom. Yes. And with wine. Not wrinkles. Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's just really important. So that makes me happy that you have not given up figuring out and not even knowing. I think that's such an important thing. You didn't even know at first. And mm. to have something tragic happen, like, you know, losing your father and how and how. Yeah. To be able to use that to propel you to figure out, you know what? There's something more out there. There's something, you know, bigger and brighter and being able to use that to be able to share with other people. Sometimes people just do it to serve themselves, but you're doing it to serve other people as well. So I think that's really rad. Thank you so much. Yeah. Anytime I'm thinking like, oh, why did I start so late? I'll come back and listen to this. And <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Just listen to the last few minutes. And you're like, oh, yes, yes. I got my mojo back. Yes. I got it back. <laughs> but you now have a staff as well. It's not just you. Hmm. You actually have a staff. So how was that? Like, was it easy to, because obviously anytime you do something like this, you need to share your vision with them, right? People need to be right. bought in. Yes. So was it easy to get their buy-in in regards to the things that you were doing? And and how was that when you finally got to that point where you're, oh my gosh, I'm hiring people yeah. to help me do this? Right. It's definitely a tough process to find the right match. It's still an ongoing process, you know, but the team that we have now and the folks that I work with are, are fantastic and we all have a common bond, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of the folks on the team have lost someone, a parent, um, a child. And so I think that was the common denominator. And so we know we have a similar kind of story and passion there, but yeah, it's been awesome. It, it's easily my favorite part of like this journey is like the team and like and tapping into other people's superpowers and seeing what they can bring to the table, new ideas. That's been my favorite part for sure. Another question just popped in just from what you said. This is how I roll. You yeah. say something like, oh, let me think. So you're talking <laughs> about other people's superpower. What's your superpower? Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, geez. You know, I, I would say the thing that I've brought to Amazon and now to my own company I think has been that ability to build teams, to hire great people, to attract great people and have great culture on the team. You know, people, you know, it's kind of cliche that work hard, play hard kind of thing, but people I think genuinely seem to enjoy kind of the the teams that that I've been able to to put together. And so I'd say that that is my superpower, I think. It's a good superpower. I always say mine's relationship building. Okay. It's a little bit off my mom's because my mom, she is like that woman who can get your entire life story in five minutes. Mm. Like, tell me everything. And I can do that, but I want to like, I want you to like me (laughs) (laughs) and not think that I'm so crazy. You just think my mom's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I always leave a couple moments to ask my guests if there's anything that I didn't ask or there's anything additional you want to share to please do so. So if there's anything that I didn't ask or if there's anything that you want to share, please do so. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for the time and the opportunity. I've had a lot of fun and uh, 
I'm definitely a big fan. Going to check out the wine that that you recommended as well. <laughs> you know, check us out. Go to lalo.app. Download the app. Let me know what you think. Uh, you won't hurt my feelings. <laughs> Send me feedback. Let me know what we can improve on. We're also in the middle of raising a little bit of money. And so we have a campaign on, it's called wefunder.com. And anyone can invest even as little as $100 and you can own a piece of Lalo. So those are the two things I'll, I'll leave you with. Thank you. I'm actually going to see most, or not my my immediate family, my yes. sisters, my parents, my nephews, my brother-in-law, all those. I'm going to be going to Portland soon. So I'm going to have everybody download it because I'm awesome. going for my nephew's graduation. And what a better, not like what a wonderful way to start something than by starting it with my nephew's graduation. Uh, I love I it. know. My guy. How does that so happen? Fast. <laughs> I was in the hospital when he was born and now he's graduating high school. Like, I, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. So it's crazy. So I will definitely be checking it out and I'll be making sure everybody downloads it so we can try it out and Love it. I'll give you feedback. Don't worry. Yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> it's not on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. I've never had a better app in my life. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for sharing your story. I think it's, like I said, it's so, to me, it's always so important to not just hear where people are now, but to hear their journey in regards to how they got there. And obviously your journey is so much longer than what we can get in hour, but I do appreciate you sharing your time and your story with us. Thank you so much. Until next time, mi gente. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, Please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated, and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.